Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21. I'm going to actually read the warning that he talks about before we get into that, the, that part where he talks about building your house on the, on the rock. Jesus, the disciple maker, is making these disciples. How does Jesus make disciples? Well, Jesus, um, he, he, does, he makes these disciples by calling them um, and requiring them to do some things. And namely, the way he makes these disciples, he calls them to himself to follow him, to, to listen to him, to obey him. And look, uh, look, he knows that some of them there that are listening, the crowds and those that have been following closely and those that are in disbelief, they're just there for the goods because he healed them, you know. He says, hey, look, if you listen to me and you obey me and you follow me, you're going to survive the te those tests. And if you do not, then you're going you're gonna to get wrecked. And if you're like me at all, which, which you are, dear brother and sister, you know what? I know that you struggle at times to, um, to listen and to obey God because I know that I do. Man, I, I, uh, I do, I know, and I know the theology because he has changed my heart. And I'm clean because he has made me clean. And it's his righteousness and not my righteousness. Like, I know that, right? Um, but also I know, like, he calls his disciples to follow him and to obey him. And I know that there's times where I probably don't obey him with my mind the way I ought to. And I, and I don't obey him with my actions the way I, I should. And I don't obey, with, obey him in the deepest recesses of my heart in ways that I don't even know I'm disobeying him. There are things that need to change in us where we, we might think we're doing the right thing and, and we're not. We're completely far from God. We're not listening to him at all. We think we are. And those types of things, those heart issues need to change us in as well. So I, I know that's me, and I know that's us. So I, I know that you've come here today, and you have stuff possibly going on. Maybe you have not talked to your branch group about or another Christian about. Um, if you're not in community with us, you kind of maybe you're kind of like keeping a hand's distance just to be safe, okay? You, you don't want to be safe. You don't want anyone to know your stuff because you— because maybe you're a little bit afraid. Can I just tell you, it's okay to be afraid. It, it's normal to be afraid. Um, but be courageous. Kind of, kind of, you know, and, and, and trust a little bit. We know that your, your trust issues are, are broken. You know, that's fundamental. Our relationship with God and relationship with our fellow man is broken. So we know you're a little afraid. But you might have something going on, whether in your heart or your actions or in some form or another, and you're, you're, you would say, man, I am not in obedience to Christ Jesus. I, I want to follow him, but i am sort of got one foot in the kingdom and one foot not in. So if you will, if you turn to Matthew chapter 7, I want you to hear the reading of God's word this morning. This is toward the end of the, what's called the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount uh, essentially goes through chapter 5 to the end of chapter 7, but we're going to read chapter 7, verses 21 through, through the end of the chapter, and it says this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, here's the warning. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven 
Now, there might be some of you here, you're just hearing this, and this is the scariest verse you've ever read. Lord, Lord, and they won't enter my kingdom. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Oh, my goodness, all kinds of ministry, all kinds of things. I realize that there's some words probably to define here, and we'll, we'll, we'll do that as, as we go on. But in general, you can see this is someone that thought they were with Jesus. But in their heart, did they really? And he says, and, when, when, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We will see that happen, by the way. And then it goes on, this is this intense warning, which there are warnings throughout his sermon, of course. And Jesus, the disciple maker, is making this, I mean, he's calling them to something, okay? So what is he calling them to do? What does it look like? He goes on to say in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay? And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. The rock is Jesus, brothers and sisters, okay? And everyone who hears these words of mine, pay attention, hear. Are you hearing? Are you hearing what God says? Are you obeying what he says? And everyone who hears these words of mine and does them, does, oh, excuse me, excuse me. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Dude, Whittier was devastated. I, like, you know, I didn't grow up in the city like we... We, have a, we live there in the far east side of it. We live five miles from the church. We live, like, you need to go up Idaho, you live there. And, um, like, the city was devastated. And I would hear the older people say, you know, don't forget, some, you know, these businesses struggle because it was a restart. Everything was devastated in 1987. I was like, wow, that's major. The fall was great. How much worse for the fall of your own soul Jesus, um, he's the disciple maker, and he's making these disciples, and that's you and me. And maybe you're here today, and you're not quite sure, okay? Now, at first, I, I do want to kind of give you a little comfort. I want you to feel the tension and the fear from the text. I also want to give you a little bit of comfort. If we back up before we get to this particular section, I'll first say this, that Jesus is addressing, saying something about these false Christians. I'm just going to call them that, Okay. Um, in verses 21 through, through 23, he's talking about people that are not true believers. Um, now, before that, one of the big, I mean, he's clearly saying that. He's, before that, in, cha- in, ver- in chapter 7, verse 15, he's, give, he's warning the disciples about false prophets. These false teachers, these uh, proclaimers, uh, or attempted proclaimers of God's truth in an in, in articulate way. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. But you will recognize them by their fruits, okay? And grapes, are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? 
So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And he's, war- he's warning them about these false prophets. And now in later, the passage I read to you, he's actually warning them about these, these false Christians. Um, it's, I realize that that word doesn't even go together. How is there, you're either Christian or you're not, right? Now look, I want to recognize once again, like that you might be here today and maybe you're, you're figuring it out. And I, I don't want you to hear uh, from the pastor that I'm chasing you off if you kind of have one foot in heaven, one foot in hell. But I do want you to hear the warnings of scripture. I, I do want you to be warned I want you to hear the good news of the gospel and be terrified by the reality of hell. And you cannot leave here and not know that reality. It would be inappropriate and improper. I would be a bad herald, a bad pastor, if I didn't warn you of hell um, and the torment that comes with it. It's eternal. It's conscious. It's punishment. Reject Jesus. Reject the rock. And you go to hell. Now, I don't want you to leave because you're testing it out. I, I want you to come and put on the cloak, so to speak, to, tr- to try on the suit, to, to try on the dress. Or I, I don't know how else. I don't have another way of saying it. Because maybe you're not totally in. And you want to try it on? I, w- I want you to. Now, Jesus, he's making these disciples, okay? What, what he's getting, he's making his disciples. So how does he do that? Well, he is requiring of his disciples uh, a number of things. How does he do this? You know, you have this long sermon that starts in chapter 5, and it comes all the way here, and you can, it's all together, all right? And you can read that to, on your own. You can read it. You're literate. God's blessed you. You probably have a Bible. If you don't, tell us, and we're going to hook you up with one. But you can read it. And I, so I'm, we won't read all of the sermon, but we'll, we'll look at uh, a, a bit of it. So Jesus is making these disciples by calling them or requiring them to certain things. The first thing he's requiring them is that they do the will of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, he is requiring you, he is calling you to do the will of God. Listen to what it says in verse 21. Listen to this again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but... The one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. You know, there's a link between the fruit, you know, of talking about those false prophets earlier in the passage and the fruit of of true Christians and true belief. You know, bad trees don't have good fruit. They're rotten. If you know him, if you are one of his disciples, the way he is making the disciples, he is calling you, commanding you, to do the will of the Father. Your obedience to Jesus matters. Don't come to Jesus and say, I want you as fire insurance, but I don't want to do your will. Because that means you don't like him. You don't get it that, you don't get like, hey, you know, keep me from hell, but I'm just going to live like the devil and not know you. Because that's not Christianity. That is not to say that Christians will not struggle. I mean, I told you, like, I have my own struggles and, I, and heart issues. And, and there's, you know, question certain motives in my heart and why I do certain things. 
Like, are they pure and perfect? No, I, I, no, I do not think so. I mean, there is this struggle with this, the inheritance of sin through Adam. It, we all have it. You're, we're not born good. Every cute little baby is born in sin, by the way. And so were we. So were us. We, us. It's okay. You, get, you understand. But you must do the will of the Father. You must obey him and do what he desires. And if you don't, you are not building your house on the rock. You are building your house on sand, and it will be an awful fall. And by God's grace, hopefully he'll just spank you enough and make it painful enough in his sovereign grace that you would repent and turn to him. May that be. That's better. It's better to enter the kingdom without an eye, you know, missing part of your body, than to reject him, okay? So that's number one. Number one, do the will of the Father. Every disciple of Jesus needs to do the will of God. And we're not saying that won't be difficult. We're not saying it won't be messy. I'm not saying that it, uh, you know, you're not going to struggle. I'm not saying that you're not going to stumble. You're going to stumble. There's future sins you will commit. In fact, I'm going to say, I'm going to call you to something that the scriptures and Jesus' sermon is calling us to that is going to seem difficult and crazy and possible because it is. You know that you're going to struggle and you're going to stumble and you're going to mess up bad, but you know what? By God's grace, he perseveres us. He perseveres his true, his true disciples, his true followers till the end, okay? Number two, Jesus calls, uh, he calls his disciples how he makes these disciples, he calls them to perfection. Now that might be, sound scary to some of you hearing, whoa, whoa, Jesus is calling us, like, what does that mean? Like, we're not talking, so just technically we're not talking about a Wesleyan holiness type of position or anything like that. I am telling you that Jesus calls you to perfection because the scripture calls us to that. I'm going to show you in the Gospel of Matthew as he's preaching this um, in chapter 5. Turn to chapter 5 for just a moment. I want to show you something I read a couple weeks ago, and I just, I'm, I briefly highlight, I want you to see this. So there's, there's two sides to this. On one hand, you need to know that, look, I know, you and I know that you will not, you and I will not fulfill the law. And yet we are required to obey it perfectly, okay? You're not. You, you messed up. You, I, I mean, we messed up today. But Jesus, Jesus, um, there's some weird buttons, weird cell phone. Um, there, Jesus fulfills the law perfectly. He says in, cha in chapter 5, verse 17, listen to what he says. Because people would think of Jesus, hey, you came to destroy the law. And he says, no, 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 no. Do not think, in verse 17 of chapter 5, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. By the way, this is good news for us. Jesus fulfills the law when you and I are completely unable to do, it, do so. And we see each other do it all the time. Not fulfill it, but not live accordingly. Jesus is calling us to live perfectly, and yet it is him and he alone that can live perfectly when we, when we do not. Look at the end of the section there. In verse uh, 20, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, the local, the religious leaders in Jesus' days. By the way, scribes and Pharisees was not a, a negative word in their time. They were, they were people held with great esteem among their culture. 
they were holy, they were godly, they were righteous, and everyone thought that, you know. And so when Jesus says, when Jesus says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, he said, he, he, they are thinking, oh my goodness, I could never do that. And they would be absolutely correct in understanding that. They couldn't. And Jesus uh, also knows and will say over and over again, I mean, he calls them all kinds of names throughout the Bible, and he, that they cannot, they do not. The problem with them is that they're not righteous enough. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If it's not righteous enough, you will not enter. That sounds perfect. That sounds difficult. Later in the, in, the mess, in the sermon, in chapter 5, right at the end, Jesus says these amazing words. When he's calling them to, to love their enemies, I'm just going to read it, and, and I'm not going to explain every aspect of this because I'm going to look at some different um, parts of the, of the passage of the sermon here. He says, you have heard, in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall, not love, you shall, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, and he does this over and over again throughout this, he does it over and over, but I say to you, you have heard this, but I say to you, and we'll, we'll address that, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. It's completely difficult. Pray for the people that wrong me. No likey. No one likes that. So that you may be sons of the, your father who is in heaven. He's calling them to something really difficult. The, for, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain um, on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's what Jesus says. Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Now the co tax collectors, um, you know, hey, here's the cool thing. By the way, the, the one who wrote this gospel, Matthew, was a tax collector. He got saved. Tax collectors were not viewed the same as scribes and Pharisees. They were viewed with contempt because they were betrayers of their fellow Jewish brethren. You're burdening our people from this foreign force, but you're one of our people. So they're super offended, extremely offended. But he says, do not even the tax collectors do the same, right? And if you greet only your brother, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He's calling them something really high, something very difficult. And then he says this, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Jesus is calling his disciples to obey him, to do his will, to live a holy life. There is no question God calls his people to holiness. The bad news is, he won't do it. We're going to mess up. I mess up. We mess up. We need to strive for, for, um, for purity and holiness, godliness. Jesus tells his disciples, you, you must be perfect as your heavenly father perfect. The good news is this. We are made perfect because of the shed blood of Christ Jesus. When you mess up really bad, you need to remember who died for you. It's Jesus do not make a mockery of the cross. We are warned throughout Scripture, do not make a mockery of the blood, of the shed blood of Jesus, the precious blood that was shed for you. Do not make a mockery. Do not sin so that grace can abound more. Right, right Paul addresses that in, in Romans. Do not sin. Should we sin so that grace can abound? Like, no. 
No, 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 people of God. You must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. The good news is this. Jesus fulfilled the law that you and I don't fulfill. And Jesus was perfect when you and I are not perfect. You can feel the weight of this crazy, terrifying burden and then remember how light it is when you put on Jesus. Jesus has made you clean. Jesus makes you perfect. You must turn from sin. We must turn from sin. And we will our whole lives and put, keep trusting in the one who lived the perfect life that you and I will not live. He came to fulfill the law, not to abolish it, and he did. He lived it perfectly. So number one, the way Jesus makes his disciples is he requires them to do the will of the Father. And it's a terrifying thing for those who do not do the will of the Father, that do not love Jesus, who do not build their house on the rock. Number two, he calls us, he requires us to live holy, perfect lives. The rest in the God of heaven, Jesus Christ, who paid it all for us. Don't play games with God. Don't put one foot in the kingdom and say, I want Jesus, and the, nether, and the other foot in hell and say, I want this. Because you might just prove to show yourself that you want hell more than you want Jesus. So hear the warnings. It would be inappropriate for me not to give you the warnings, brothers and sisters. Number three, he calls them beyond their behavior, but to the purity of a heart that has been transformed by God. So not only does he call us to heed his will, not only does he call us to holiness, number two. Number three, he calls us to, to, look, to go beyond our behavior uh, and live out the life we should live because of a transformed heart. I want you to see how he, he does this. In chapter 5, verse 21, he says this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Everyone there knew. Man, the commandments of God are clear. Man, you can't murder someone. You, you murder someone, you're, you, do you know what the punishment for murder was? You, death. You're not allowed to murder someone. And the judgment would be a physical death. It's not as bad compared to a spiritual long term, by the way. Uh, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, and here's this, con he keeps doing this contrast over and over and over, and he's going to call them to um, issues of their heart. I want, you know, I want you to see how he does this, okay? But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hell of fire. Um, so I, I want to pause for a moment and, and I want you to see something going on. Jesus is going deeper into the heart of the issues. If you thought, look, I haven't murdered anyone, so I'm clear. Jesus says, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You think you understand. Um, you think you do. But actually, no, you have murdered. You're guilty of murder for what goes on in your heart. It is the inward heart. 
So most certainly it is there is behavior that is sinful, but it, the in, inward heart can be just as sinful and have us just as liable. In fact, Jesus says you, would be, you can go to hell because of this. Be, you'd be liable to the hell of fire. Now, now I want you to kind of envision something because there's something in their day that would just have all this imagery as he's talking about this. So you have this primarily a Jewish uh, audience listening, and they're going to know some history of their land and the prophets and these different things. And, and what they would have in mind was a place that, um, like a physical place that, that scholars believe was actually still there in Jesus' day. It was called like Gehenna, all right? And so most certainly, like, don't, don't, don't think I'm saying, hey, there's no, like, like hell, the eternal hell. I'm just saying, like, in their minds, what they would, th- they would think of this terrible place, and it goes back in history. There was a people, these pagans, just call them pagans, that did this worship uh, to Moloch. Moloch was this detestable god um, that you read about in the Bible that, that God sent his people to kind of deal with and to not turn into their ways, okay? They would offer children as sacrifices in the fires to Moloch, their god that they worship. It's terrible. It's evil. It's wicked. It's disgusting. Um, they would offer children as sacrifices in this, this huge place of fire. There's this valley. And so, and so when, when Josiah, I believe it was Josiah, like, like I might muck this up a little bit, it was who they finally like kind of put an end to that and put a squash to it. And what they do is they, they take this, quote, sacred place for the Moloch worshipers, and they make it a, a de- it was certainly detestable before they did anything, but they did something. They made it like the, the dung pile. They, they basically kind of, you know, dealt with them and, and made it a place where, where they would bring their trash and their refuge and, and the dead bodies of criminals. And it'd be like on fire all the time. So this is awful place. I want to, it, it desecrated the, the wicked worship that t- took place. The, you know, trash, dung, fire, uh, criminals that died are thrown in this horrific place called Gehenna. And then Jesus says, hey, look, if you murder, not, not physically, but you murder in your heart, you just, you just, you have um, uh, anger, and you murder, and you deserve that, you, to be thrown into that. Now, Jesus, you could tell Jesus is, is really calling his people to wrestle with heart issues, because a lot of times what we do what I do, what we do, is we say, I've never cur- killed anyone. I haven't committed adultery, but you have in your heart. I've never murdered, but you have in your heart. Okay, you ever struggled with resentment toward anyone, ever? I mean, re- resentment, no one, no one ever has to find out about that. No one ever sees I mean, you can have a full-on smile and be resentful and nice no, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. I hope you die. <laughs> Jesus takes it even further. Look at how he's addressing the heart as he goes, he goes at these people. He says, so if you are offering your gift at the altar, and so there would have been this inner place of worship, and I want you to notice who, how he addresses this issue, okay? Because does, he does not address, he, puts a, he flips it on its head, and I did not realize this until this last study. He says, 
So if you're at the altar and there, and there, remember that your brother has something against you, and he's using brother loosely. It doesn't mean necessarily brother or he, it's just like this other person. Leave your gift there before the altar and go. Now, now, look, now go back and look. Listen, listen. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother has something against you. That is not the way we primarily think of things, by the way. We think, if I'm at the altar, I remember what they did to me. We don't think about what we've done to them. You catch that? Jesus is totally flipping what they would think on top of its head. You see, because we're really concerned with what people have done to us. And it's an issue. It's an issue. But he calls his disciples to do his will, to, to live a perfect and holy life, and to go deep into the heart of issues and wrestle with the heart. That's what Jesus is getting at when he says this. So your concern as Christians, our concern is also for those that we've impacted. Leave your gift there before the altar and go first and be reconciled to your brother. And then come off your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. And truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Now there are some folks that tend to hold on to a certain theology that is completely wrong to think that this, is a, this would be a case for um, purgatory, which is this, it's a Catholic understanding where someone goes into hell and kind of pays off their debt and then they get out. I just want you to know, like, that is not the way the Bible talks about it at all. If, uh, if someone goes into hell, there is no getting out. Okay? There's no, that, that's it. That's it. You reject J Jesus in this life, you reject him for eternity in hell. And all the consequences of that. But what he's saying to these people, they would understand, like, in their day, if you had a debt, you went into jail, and you didn't come out until you paid for it. And the point is, you couldn't. Could you imagine that? All of the indebted brothers and sisters in here, like, we're all going to jail until we pay off our debt, or just all of California, or whatever. I mean, I don't know. Like, so, something like that. Number one, Jesus calls us to, to do, fulfill, do the will of the Father. Number two... He calls us to, to live a holy life. Be perfect as, my as your Father in heaven is perfect. Excuse me, as my Father in heaven. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Number three, he calls his disciples, the disciple Mary calls his disciples to a, um, a, something beyond the behaviors, but also the inward heart. Number four, he calls his disciples to turn away from things that we thought were right. He calls us to be open to correction. There are things that we can think we're doing um, right and we can be doing very wrong. Look, look, you see it over and over in the sermon of Jesus. He's on verse 21. You have heard that it was said uh, to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to the court. But I say to you. Um, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, it was, you would, verse 31, it was, it was said, also said, whoever divorces his wife, but I say to you, and over and over, you have heard it said, in verse 38, uh, um, you have heard it said that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, 
You know, see, over and over, Jesus is calling his disciples to be open to a, a correction that they were not open to before, and it's uh, most certainly because of the transformed heart we're able to. So as you hear the word of God taught, as you read the word of God, as you engage other Christians, you know, there are going to be things that come right smack in the face with what you thought was okay to do, and you were going to find out that it is not appropriate for you to do those things. It is not okay for Christians to murder in their heart. It is not okay for Christians to commit adultery in their heart or outwardly in any other way. We, we should be the people whose marriages last. And I know, man, man, God is merciful and God is gracious. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, if you are facing the difficulty and the hard decision of trying to break off a marriage, God forbid that you do. Do not make such a decision on your own. You should come to the eldership and not make such a life altering massive decision on your own but you should have wise counsel about it now i can preach on that there's an entire sermon related to uh, marriage and the sanctity of marriage and in matthew uh, jesus he's t he calls out divorce aggressively and the sanctity of marriage this means man fornicating and cheating and all those things are not to be done among the people of god are not to be done anywhere but above among his people we are to hold marriage in high esteem and there's a lot of reasons for that one of the great reasons because it's to display something far greater than just your union but a union between the bridegroom and the bride his church it is a wonderful and mysterious and beautiful thing. And therefore, God calls us to hold marriage in high esteem. This is why sex outside of marriage is repulsive and sinful and to be repented of. So Jesus calls his disciples to turn away from what they thought was right. And look, I'm telling you, you need to understand that there are going to be things from the scriptures, from Jesus, that are going to slap you right upside the head. And you're going to be like, no, I don't like that. I thought I could be resentful and no one know about it. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Man, it is a terrifying section where Jesus is saying, hey, look, they were prophesying in my name, casting out demons. How does a false Christian do these types of ministry things? Remember Judas? Inner circle, hanging out with Jesus, and he rejects him. He's called the son of perdition. He rejects Jesus. He did not build his house on the rock, but on the sand. Because Jesus did not meet the expectations that he had of him. Number five, the way Jesus is making these disciples, he's requiring them to call, he's calling them to um, um, an obedience that only God will see. And I, I'm going to just tell you right now, uh, in, this, in this context, and this culture, we want everyone to see our business. I mean, when we're not all right, we want people to think we're all right. I don't know what platform would do that at all. I can't even think of if there was something like that existed. Like, let me know. Like, th if there, there is so many opportunities to not do things in secret, in obedience to God. And I'm not saying that those platforms are wrong for you to have. 
although it could be, depending on the person, it could be wrong for you to have, possibly. It might not be helpful. Jesus says this in, um, chapters, in chapter 6. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before others, excuse me, before other people in order to be seen by them. This is the warning that Jesus gives his disciples. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he's warning them, hey, hey, don't do that. Like, then he gives them some context. Thus, when you give to the needy, um, uh, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. The idea is being seen by someone else uh, and trying to be seen by other people. Now, Jesus is not saying don't give to the needy. Jesus is not saying don't pray in public. Jesus is not saying don't do any good works where others receive. Jesus is not saying that. He's not saying that. But, but he is addressing the inward heart, and he is, like, in their, in their context, you know, the, the Pharisees and scribes, they would have they done something for others to see their good works on display. And Jesus is warning us to um, do these, obe- these things, these righteousness in a way that is seen by God. You have to be okay with it being seen by God and no one else. And so I want to ask you, are you okay with that being the case? That only God sees this and no one else. And Jesus is saying the answer to that should be an overwhelming yes, absolutely. And Jesus is warning because at, at the heart of that is pride. At the heart of wanting to be seen. Uh, now look, you will be seen because you gave to someone who was needy. Like you can't avoid it. And Jesus is not saying not to do it. He's calling us to beware of our hearts. And lastly, he calls us to total and absolute allegiance him. You cannot have one foot in the kingdom and one foot in hell and say, Jesus, I'm with you. It is very clear, chapter 7, 21, through the end, not, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on the house, but it did not fall because it had been Founded on the rock, and everyone who hears the words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus requires of his disciples total and absolute allegiance to him and no other. You do not get to worship something else and him. You do not get to worship money and him. You do not get to worship self and him. Jesus will not have it. It's him and no one else. He is God and he alone. He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one who fulfills the law when you and I cannot fulfill it. He dies on the cross and sheds his blood, makes us pure and holy because of what he did and not because of what we do. He is the only one worthy of our worship and our praise, and he commands and demands all allegiance to him, and he is the only one worthy of our allegiance.
So you do not get to have, we do not get to have one foot in hell and one foot with him. And if that is you today, I want to call you to repent and turn to Jesus while there's time. Because when the winds come and the rain comes, it will come in a time when you will not be ready and the fall will be great. But there's good news, brothers and sisters. Jesus, the one who died for you, he calls to you. He says, come and follow me. Come and I will give you rest. Come to Jesus. Let's pray.